Thank you for joining Analytics Today, a podcast series that focuses on big data and analytics and the latest trends in the digital world. I'm your co-host, Jeremy Roberts, and with me always is my co-host, Samir Khan. Hey, Samir. Hey, Jeremy. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good, man, and great to see you the other weekend in Houston. That was great, man. Yeah, it, it was, was fantastic. Thanks for coming over. Yeah, yeah. And so um, really, really excited today um, that we have another great interview happening um, this is a uh, an ex-Rackspace colleague of ours who has now spun off and um, is the CEO of a company called Jungle Disk, and his name is Brett Pyatt, and we'd like to introduce Brett Pyatt. Welcome, Brett. Thank you, Jeremy, and thank you, Samir, for having me on. Thank Very you. Exciting. Yeah, this is this can be fantastic. Today's topic is is fantastic. I'm excited about this one. This is what a lot of people are searching for a lot of people have issues with and people clearly just don't understand it's that whole concept of gdpr but before we get into that and before samir and i start asking you questions and grilling you on your obscene knowledge of gdpr what we want to do is have you go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit about you um about jungle disc and and really just what inspired you to to really you know move on from rack space into the jungle disc yeah, so I'm a 20-year internet security veteran at this point. I uh, started as a hands-on uh, engineer in security and networking, worked in some research and development and product development, uh, and then uh, eventually on in my career moved into uh, corporate strategy roles, and uh, I was at Rackspace when that happened. And I joked that if they uh, ever wanted to sell Jungle Disk, I would buy it. Uh, and then they <laughs> nice. decided to actually put it up for sale. So... Um, my, I got uh, together with uh, a colleague who was the general manager of Jungle Disk for a couple of years, Hugh Edwards, um, and a group of San Antonio family offices, and we we bought Jungle Disk about two and a half years ago. Um, it was uh, an encrypted storage and encrypted backup uh, business when we bought it, and uh, this was start of 2016, and we're getting phone calls from a bunch of customers asking us, what's a Bitcoin? And I think everyone knows what one is now here in 2018, but back then we were getting asked, what's a Bitcoin and how do I get one? And what was really happening is folks were getting ransomware, and this this made it, um, with the rise of cryptocurrencies, efficient now for criminals to uh, attack small businesses and not just go after the big businesses online. Uh, so with those rise of attacks, we we took Jungle Disk from a, a encrypted storage and backup business to a, a complete cybersecurity suite where we... Uh, now I've done a couple more acquisitions, including a password management service, and uh, we've added a, a network security suite uh, of that does content filtering and all the things that you should be doing to protect uh, yourself from phishing attacks and, and mm-hmm. malware and um, drive-by links and all the rest of the things going on out there on the Internet today. Nice. Samir, you got anything from that? No, that's, that's fantastic. I think uh, it's interesting. Like I remember journalists very well because at one point of time uh, – my team was helping them with their marketing efforts when I was at Rackspace. And so it's very interesting how you transition from the core uh, functionality to becoming a more cybersecurity solution, which is kind of, a, you know, which is definitely one of the most relevant things out there in technology world. Yeah. And a couple of years ago, we were, we were calling it a data security suite because folks hadn't really heard the word cybersecurity much either in the small business world until uh, the last election cycle, and now everyone's heard the word cybersecurity. Yeah. That's fantastic. Completely agree. So l- let's jump into this. Um, first of all, 
let's Brett, let's get your definition. What is GDPR? And, and if you don't mind, you're a pretty smart guy. So what we want to do is for those who don't really understand what it is, let's do either the complicated definition or even just the, the basic definition of what GDPR is. Yeah. So GDPR is the European Union putting together a consistent set of data privacy laws that are going to uh, govern data privacy for all European citizens. So mm -hmm. uh, this would be in the U.S. the equivalent of the federal government coming in and putting out a data privacy law that they're going to then push down and as a federal law, force all the states to follow. Um, and so in Europe now, GDPR um, is, they announced this a few years ago, it's going into effect here um, on the 25th of May, 2018. Um, so depending on when you're listening to this podcast, it might already be in effect. You might already need to be following these rules or, uh, it could be that uh, you've, you've got a few days still to uh, update your privacy policy and figure some things out. Nice. And, and, and so um, you talked about when it goes into effect. And and so what does it actually mean? So what, what does that actually mean for the average person? I mean, it, does this affect people who are in tech or does it just affect the average consumer? So as a consumer, this won't uh, affect you at all. GDPR is around... Uh, regulating businesses and the way that they handle the private and confidential information of a European Union citizen. Um, so if you run a website, if you run a digital marketing business and you're collecting information on behalf of your customers um, to help them understand the people on their websites, if uh, you're out there selling and marketing to consumers in the EU, and here's an asterisk in this law, and I, I think it's going to be complicated to figure out when and how this gets enforced. But even in theory, if a European Union citizen was in the state of Texas here where I'm at, yep. uh, you're and they went to your website and it looks like they showed up from San Antonio, Texas, you don't really have a way to even know that they're an EU citizen. In theory, GDPR still applies to them when they come to visit your website. So this is is one where the, the law follows the person and their citizenship. It doesn't necessarily follow the geography, hmm. uh, uh, which is going to make it tricky on some of the compliance side for businesses. This is why you, you may have seen um, some folks are coming out and just saying, we're going to do GDPR for everyone. So yeah. they're going to... Um, one of my, the domain registrars, we use some, uh, Hoover, um, or Hover. I don't know how you pronounce that one, but like they've decided just to go ahead and apply the GDPR compliance requirements to all of their, uh, records because they've made the determination they can't really figure out or it's just easier to implement and do that for everybody than it is to worry about. Do you have an EU citizen signing up under a gmail.com address in the U.S.? You don't know they're an EU citizen. Um, so you're not handling their things in compliance with GDPR. Makes sense. Yeah, and that's exactly what I'm seeing is uh, I follow the marketing technology world pretty diligently and pretty consistently. I've come across every single vendor like Salesforce, Google, Facebook, even smaller vendors. They're adding GDPR compliance as one of the requirements, uh, like you said, Brad, irrespective of whether they're serving the U.S. nationals or EU nationals, nationals from any other country. So. 
So that explains it, uh, you know, because of that complexity of how the GDPR law applies and to who it applies at one point of time, it just becomes very hard to differentiate between a U.S. citizen and a non-U.S. citizen. So that's great. Uh, so my next question is, uh, you know, I know that we have been using data for quite some time. You know, there's always uh, the cybersecurity thing pops up all of a sudden and it goes away for some time. Now, why there is a huge need like all of a sudden for data privacy and compliance? Well, I mean, I think it's starting to get more visibility now as we we see more um, targeted and high profile uses of the information that different folks are collecting uh, about us. So um, this this stuff is not new, though. I mean, like if you go back to the Nielsen TV ratings when probably you and I were kids and most of our listeners out there were kids, mm-hmm. Nielsen was profiling your, your household back then and providing – they were doing data collection. It just wasn't as efficient. You had to fill out – if you were a Nielsen family, you filled stuff out by paper. Um, they knew based off of your zip code and other things. So – it's kind of like they had tracking cookies and a lot of the things that we have on the internet now, um, but it just was manual and slower. So, um, and then that information would be used to determine for advertisers which shows should they run TV ads on. Uh, so we're we're seeing this now uh, on the internet. I think folks are um, starting to see areas where you go to a website and then immediately uh, you get followed around by that website on every yeah. other website you go to and and. Um, things like that with the retargeting are starting to drive more awareness of consumers of just how much their data is being tracked, how quickly it's being tracked and passed around. Um, and, and with that, it's driving an increased awareness. But the GDPR, while it's going into effect right now, um, this is kind of the third iteration for the EU. Um, they used to have uh, Privacy Shield before this, and then, and then back before that, there was <clears throat> the EU Safe Harbor. So the EU's been thinking about the, especially in the digital and online data privacy for, for quite a while. Um, and it just happens to be that GDPR now is going into effect, uh, mm-hmm. while folks have Cambridge Analytica and some of these other data privacy, uh, I'm going to call it a breach. It's not really a data breach, but it's a, it's a privacy breach, uh, so, and on their mind. Okay. So one quick question just to make sure we understand what type of data because some of our listeners may be thinking holy crap they have my um they have my social security number. When we talk about protected data under GDPR, what type of data because typically you look at, you know, PII which is personal identifiable information and you have interest level data which means clicks and views and likes and all that other stuff. What kind of data are we talking about here? Yes, this this is one that's going to be interesting for for me to see how the enforcement comes down on this. If you look at it from my non-lawyer perspective, it kind of the most broad way this could be enforced. Uh, It's anything that allows you to uniquely identify an EU citizen. So if you dropped a tracking cookie onto an EU citizen's computer Mm -hmm. and you track their clicks, the websites they visited, any of that, even though you don't know their name, you don't know anything more specific about them other than you believe like that this tracking cookie is on an EU citizen's computer and you've tracked some of their web behavior, that data would fall under GDPR. Now, certainly if you can tie it to their name, their address, 
um, to uh, the bank or credit card company they use. You start to get into more uniquely identifiable information. That stuff very clearly falls under GDPR. Uh, but even if you were to tie that tracking cookie to an email, all of a sudden, I mean, I think that really clearly falls under it. It'll be interesting to see on some of the, I'm going to call it anonymous level data where it's just a cookie and mm -hmm. browsing behavior. Maybe that cookie you could track to some location, um, which places it did visit the web from, which websites it went to. Um, but it's likely even I think we're going to see um, some folks that are using that anonymized data in an aggressive marketing manner um, mm -hmm. are going to end up with a GDPR enforcement claim. Interesting. Yeah, it's incredible. So, so Samir, let me, let me do one more, and then I'll pass this on to you. Sure, um, sure go for it. So, okay, so uh, we have a lot of marketing listeners, and uh, a marketer is going to sit there now and think, okay, this is great information. I've always wanted to learn at, about GDPR. I'm, uh, I'm getting a lot of uh, questions from my leadership team that we need to start collecting more data from our customers and build out lookalike models and start doing segmentation and so on. How does this affect the average marketer? I mean, how does this affect the tools that they're using or their standard practices? I mean, should they be freaking out? No, I mean, I, I wouldn't go panic. So um, this is where, and we've been going through this with email marketing and some other channels for a while, but it, now if you think about the, the activities you need to do on email marketing where you get clear, explicit opt-in from your email. If you're going to put somebody on a mailing list, mm -hmm. uh, maybe they, they sign up on a web form, you send them a second email so that they double opt-in to confirm. Yep. Uh, you're going to need to start thinking about some of the flows on your website from a tracking perspective in that same sort of manner. So um, the, the days of maybe just the cookie banner saying, hey, we use cookies to track you. If you keep browsing our website, we're going to track you with a cookie. <laughs> that might not be good. That's not going to be really good enough under the, the letter of the law on GDPR. You're going to have to have them hit an accept button on there to clearly accept being having that cookie put on their their system under the, the way that I'm looking at GDPR right now. Uh, if you've got a, a privacy policy, you should have that clearly published on your website, uh, that and which would talk about how you're going to use the information. So when they do click that accept on, on there, uh, you are ex providing them the information to understand how the data is going to get used uh, as well, clearly, and, and have somebody look at your privacy policy uh, with regard to GDPR. Because uh, one of the, the key pieces of GDPR is the right for uh, an EU citizen to uh, send you a notice saying, please delete all of my information. So even if they opt in for mm -hmm. tracking, a month later, they could decide, you know what, I don't want to be tracked anymore by your website. They can send you a notice, and you need to delete all of that history for that user. Yeah, I think in the U.S., you get a little bit more uh, stern emails and requests from people. It comes with a little bit more profanity in that request <laughs> you know, when they want you to delete all their information, you know. <laughs> right. So... Yeah, I mean, from a marketing perspective, if you think about many of the things you've implemented on email over the last few years in email marketing, if you implement those same practices across the web, I think you're going to be in, in pretty good shape. Okay, makes sense. So I know GDPR is launching May 25th, and you probably only have like 10 days left, and there are lots of companies still trying to scramble and try to figure out what they can do at this very last moment. Uh, what kind of advice can you provide them, Brett, in the last 10 days? You know, what are the quick day fixes they can do for GDPR prep? 
So uh, I, I wrote a uh, column in CSO Online about this that goes through kind of from a small business, small marketing agency. If you're a large business listener, if you're a marketing department for a, a Fortune 500 or you work at a large marketing agency, uh, contact your legal counsel. You should have Data Privacy Council. They should have been working on this already. Um, if they're not, I would get them expressed and in a hurry. Uh, but for the small business folks, um, the blog post I wrote, if you just look for Brett Pyatt, GDPR, CSO, it'll come up. Um, there's a nice link in the middle of that post over to the, the British uh, data privacy organization that goes through a GDPR compliance checklist. Um, for small businesses, it's it's not that difficult uh, to do the things you need to do. Have a good privacy policy. Have a clear place for people to contact you so that if they want their information deleted, that you can delete it now. In the back end, it might be somewhat tricky to figure out how to track down and delete all of their information if you're collecting it. Um, it and then on that, that data access and, and data processing request. And then you'll see a lot of talk out there about a data security officer. If you're a small business, you don't have to have a data security officer. Um, you, you don't even need to designate somebody specifically to do all the functions of the data security officer. Um, so they give you some leeway. The EU was thoughtful about there. I mean, what they're, they're really working on with this law is a lot of the, the large scale data collection, um, and, and large scale marketing efforts and that where you have organizations that do have the size and scale and resources, um, to handle this. And it, it's forcing them to go through and do what many organizations are already doing from a best practices perspective. So, uh, for the organizations that were already following kind of data privacy best practices, implementing GDPR has not been difficult. For folks that are pushing the privacy envelope or doing things um, that were not in consumer privacy best interest, then the implementation of GDPR is going to be a, a rude awakening for their business model. Interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. Thanks for sharing. So um, I guess I'm just trying to think here. So, if let's say let's say a marketer says I'm too busy, this is not that big of a deal. Um, let's let a few months go by. Uh, they're busy trying to focus on sales and their own company and so on. What are the repercussions of this? What happens if you do nothing? So if the the punishments on this one are are pretty extreme from my perspective. And and since it's not in effect yet, we haven't seen what they're going to do on the enforcement side. Uh, but the, the punishment says the greater of, uh, I think it's 20 million euros or it's roughly that number or 4% of your global revenue. So like, let's say that you were Amazon.com and you did a hundred billion dollars in revenue last year. A GDPR fine could be $4 billion for you. Um, if you're wow. a small business, they don't have a, a cap on there. So if you're a business, an, an e-commerce, business uh, that did three million in revenue last year, potentially they could find you twenty million dollars, which you gotta uh, be kidding me. Yeah, and that so I don't think they're actually going to do that. It remains to be seen. Um, but yeah, and and this is one as well. People are like, well I'm just in the US, it this doesn't apply to me, or like they can't enforce it. Uh, if you sell stuff and ship product into the EU and you have EU customers um, I mean, I guess maybe if you never want to travel to the EU or if you think that 
the EU and one of the countries there wouldn't co-op, wouldn't look to uh, coordinate with the U.S. authorities to get you extradited for what you're doing. I don't know if this is extradition eligible or not. Not a criminal attorney, not an attorney at all. Uh, but I mean, I, I think this is one where completely ignoring it is likely not the right decision. You can do some some very just core things with an hour of time. Um, so, um, and if you don't have a privacy policy on your website right now and you're not sharing with your customers or your website visitors what information you're collecting and what you're doing with it, this is stuff that you should be doing already and you're, you're likely um, running into some issues with various U.S. state laws as well. Um, so it, 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 talk to some data privacy counsel. Um, the, the, the areas on this, you should be to the point now where you're being transparent about what you're collecting and what you're doing with it. So to, to add that, and, and I, I was shocked again, you, you said the word or the number 20 million and, and I was like, you gotta be kidding me. So let's say I'm a small business out there. Let's say I'm a small retail shop, a small e-commerce site, or I'm, I'm just a small business doing, you know, email marketing or doing whatever. I'm doing under a million in revenue. Should I be scared if I don't do anything or am I just under the radar? Yeah, I mean, it remains to be seen still. Um, so one of the differences between the EU and the, the U.S. is the European Union and the European uh, Central Court there, um, they will write laws, but they don't have the same sort of FBI that we have here in the U.S. that would go out and investigate and enforce those. So enforcement is going to be done on a country-by-country basis across the EU. Those countries mm-hmm. may coordinate with each other. Um, so it it's one where maybe you can go under the radar. Uh, maybe you they have can. it out for you, right? <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll be it'll be interesting to see uh, how the enforcement is is handled on this. Nice. Well, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see some great stories in the future about. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I think uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people uh, that I've talked to, they're like, you know, I know it's coming, and uh, we're just gonna do as much as we can to prepare for it. But like, who knows what's gonna happen and how it's gonna be enforced? So that'll be very interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you about that, Brett. That's that's gonna be very interesting. So uh, another question from my side. Uh, now, in the wake of GDPR, we as a consumer. Uh, what are our rights, and especially not just for EU citizen, but also, you know, primarily for U.S. citizen and citizens of other countries? Like, what are our rights, and how we can protect our data and ourselves? Yeah. So, from a, a, a U.S. citizen perspective, um, go pick your favorite search engine, share a little bit more of your your uh, information with them, but go ahead and ask uh, that search engine for consumer data privacy laws and then Texas or California or whatever state you live in, um, look up what the consumer data privacy laws are in your state. Uh, They vary state by state here in the U.S. Um, The state laws are uh, generally more uh, restrictive than the federal laws. Um, The the federal laws on data privacy are, are, are pretty... I'm going to call it marketing agency and advertising business model friendly. Um, but some of the states are, are more restrictive. So you can learn about your data privacy rights as a resident of 
the state that you live in, go online and do some reading there. Uh, to if you're looking at trying to get folks uh, or trying to protect your privacy by stopping people from being able to track what you do online, um, that's a very long and much more difficult topic. Um, I actually I host a radio program, which we also podcast afterwards, um, called Cyber Talk Radio. I recently did a, a monologue um, episode about data privacy, um, where I spend kind of an hour talking through data collection and the history of it, and then also what's going on on the internet. Um, and, and under the, the federal U.S. laws, if um, the different technology platforms that you're using, websites you're visiting, internet service um, that you're using, Wi-Fi that you're using in a restaurant or coffee shop, if they want to collect information about you, they want to understand where you're going, uh, VPN services and things can help make it somewhat confidential. Um, but it just, it, and it will obfuscate it some, but it, depending on how motivated the organization is to collect your information, it, it's pretty difficult, uh, to do anything online and stay private. I mean, I think this goes back to Eric Schmidt testifying 20 years ago in front of Congress. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing. Um, if you don't want your information shared, just don't get in the, don't get on the internet. <laughs> yeah. It's as simple as that. I mean, you know, if you don't want somebody to share your birthday, don't put your birthday in a form. I mean, it's, but you know, you, you can spend $2.99 and go find everything you can about somebody. You know, all you yes. got to do, all you need is a name and, a, and an address or anything like that. So, <laughs> uh, Samir, uh, you got the next one? Yeah, I, I one one last one. I think we can then uh, wrap up, Jeremy. Unless you have anything else. No. So no. my my question is: Let's say if I'm a it's, it's a scenario. So let's say you know I'm a U.S. citizen, and if I decide to travel to EU, uh, and then I come back, uh, will there be any implication for my data when I am in the U, EU side? Will will the GDPR law apply the same way for a U.S. citizen in EU? Yeah, yeah. There's, um, I'm seeing a bunch of discussion and debate about um, how the EU applies for uh, folks visiting Europe, uh, and then I think there's like you're a visitor on a tourist visa, you're a vis visitor on a work visa, business trip, you're a uh, non-EU citizen, but you're a, a resident of the EU. Uh, for school, you're a resident of the EU with a work visa and you're, you're working in the European Union. So, uh, this is, is one where even as a, someone who's done a lot of reading on GDPR and I, I pay a lot of attention to compliance, uh, I, I think how different countries are going to choose to implement the enforcement on, um, privacy of people that are residing in their country that are not an EU citizen. Uh, is is one where I'm going to say remains to be seen again still on on how each of the countries are going to handle that. Makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so just one last thing, piggybacking on that one, is uh you know, so understood in terms of if I'm a U.S. citizen traveling to EU, what if uh, I'm using my computer and now I downloaded uh, the company data on my computer uh, and then I'm back in the U.S. Uh, even though I'm not an EU citizen, how how will, what will be the ramifications of having a EU data on my computer? So, uh, if if you have data about EU citizens on your computer, so say maybe you work for a multinational company, uh, or you you work for a, a company 
Um, maybe that's just based out of the U.S., but you have European citizen customers. So if those EU citizens send through and make a request under GDPR um, requesting that you delete their information, that the business is responsible for deleting all copies of the information, not just the copy of the information out of the central repository. This is one where um, some of the stuff is going to get really complicated from uh, an enforcement perspective um, and really complicated as, as the data privacy officers go through these sorts of things. Uh, like if, if you're a marketing person, I guarantee you have spreadsheets and those spreadsheets have emails and different things about uh, maybe you had a conference that you ran or you had a booth at a conference in London. Um, and it's got all the people that badged in at that booth, and it's in a spreadsheet on your computer. It's in a spreadsheet on the file server mm-hmm. uh, about that event. Yeah, so where do all of the, the copies of, of identifiable information about an EU citizen reside, um, and, and how does a business go about purging all of those when they get a records request to purge it? So uh, this is one, I think, again, where the enforcement's going to be somewhat complicated, um, as you, you, there's been some polls coming out recently um, asking folks about how ready they feel for uh, GDPR, and less than than 20% of the the folks polled have said that they're really confident about their uh, ability to handle uh, a GDPR request for um, the data deletion. Um, so it's going to be, yeah, again, it's if they really push all the way through to the way I read the letter of the law, um, I mean, I think it's going to be super difficult for anyone um, to completely follow everything. Because if you go back and think about this and go, you know what, oh, that spreadsheet on my computer, I deleted it. Well, go back through your email history. If you're in a marketing person, did you attach that spreadsheet to an email? Um, so then do we have to go back and delete and purge all the emails? But then are you actually allowed to delete and purge the emails? Because let's say maybe you work for a regulated financial services organization that's not actually allowed to delete emails. So now you, you have to keep uh, copies of emails for 3, 7, 10, 15 years, kind of depending on where and how you're regulated. Um, now you've got GDPR saying delete stuff. You have another regulation saying you have to keep things, and this is – is where uh, folks are ending up in some complicated situations. Makes sense. So, so I got another one. So um, let's say somebody's inspired now. They've listened to this podcast and like, this guy Brett's, he's awesome. I love what he's doing. His data stuff's pretty interesting. Where can they go get educated about this? Are there books? Are there videos? Are there people to follow? Who should they be inspired by to go? And I mean, obviously they should follow you, but wh- whom else should they go follow? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's a on, and I don't know how much he tweets these days, but uh, he's uh, written a, a few things about this. I've interviewed him on CyberTalk Radio as well. Uh, an attorney, a technology attorney, Van Lindbergh. Um, he's also a software developer, and I've uh, been the software foundation for a number of years. On he's Van L, and uh, you can you can find him online in a number of different places under that Van L handle. Uh, okay. And he, he's talked about about this. Um, there's there's many folks out there that have, have started um, businesses around GDPR, and this is one of the hard areas. Is yeah, how do you know where to go to get what I'm going to consider reasonable advice? 
um, as many folks are out trying to make a ton of money, I don't think there's – if anyone offers you a silver bullet, like <laughs> just buy this thing from me and you're going to be compliant. Buy this thing from me. We're going to solve all of your your uh, data access requests and data deletion request requirements. Um, I don't think there is any single silver bullet. Um, so do some reading, research, uh, talk with folks. Um, and I think you should be looking to get reasonable advice and, and from them. Um, and there should be reasonable solutions. And um, until we see that maybe that some countries are enforcing GDPR in what uh, a reasonable person would consider an unreasonable manner, and then if they are, yeah. um, we're gonna you'll have to go back and reevaluate at that point in time. Makes sense. So, Samir, you got the last question, huh? Yeah, one last thing, and this is kind of uh, falls under the realm of conspiracy theory. So I was reading one of the articles. <laughs> I like yeah. and, and I want to bring that up, Brett, but, you know, you may probably provide a really good perspective to it. So I was reading an article, and they were talking about the whole GDPR compliance uh, thing is sort of a, a way for for, you know, a part of the world to acquire wealth. Uh, and enforce laws that could allow them to collect a lot of money from different places. So I don't know. Again, I, I, you know, quote unquote, this falls under the realm of conspiracy theory. So it's up to you if you want to talk about it. But I just want to know what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I I think if you you see a number of EU countries making what as a, a business owner everyone considers an unreasonable fine, um, I. I believe you'll you would see the reaction to that will be businesses withdrawing from serving the EU, so they would just exit that market. Um, so if the the regulatory overhead and the fines become more costly than the revenue that you get from the European Union, I think you will see folks withdraw uh, from the market. Um, hmm. So. It'll be interesting to see how this goes because, I mean, like if let's say you're a big company like Google and maybe you make um, $10 billion of revenue out of the EU every year and you make $4 billion in profit today uh, on that $10 billion in revenue, if they're finding you $4 billion every year and now it's just a break even, do you consider exiting that market yeah. um, or do you uh, – and, and Numbers could easily go the other direction. Google's a fair, very profitable business, but if you're somebody like Amazon in the retail world where your profit margins are much uh, lower, then and you're getting fined a percent of revenue, um, in that world, if, if they started fining somebody, I mean, like Walmart does $500 billion in revenue. If the EU fined Walmart, if a country there under GDPR, they could fine them up to $20 billion. Um, I mean, I think at those points you would see It'd be a very um, interesting board meeting and decision of if you're Walmart of like, would you continue to do business in Europe? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a good one. Cool. So, um, final thoughts here before we close out. Let's uh, get a little mushy here. Um, I guess what inspired you to get into this field? How, was there anything that happened when you were a kid that said, you know what, I'm really technology is my way to go? Um, security, uh, being a developer, what what happened? And you know, a lot of people like to hear origin stories. What happened? And yeah, after that, so you're no more mushy stuff. So we're good. Yeah, <laughs> so this this goes all the way back to to my my life as a kid. I got a Commodore sixty four. Nice, um, I had one too. And, uh, yeah. yeah, and 
And this was uh, like now everyone plays World of Warcraft and all these sorts of things online. Uh, but back then, you, you still had adventure games like where you would go through and level up. And like a lot of those level up activities, uh, just like in, in WoW or anything these days, you, you run around and kill the same thing over and over and over again for hours. Mm-hmm. Well, it, in WoW, at least you're there in kind of a social environment. Maybe you're able to do some things that are fun and chat and communicate with people. Back then on the Commodore, it was just you're playing the game by yourself. Um, so I decided it was probably going to be easier for me to just go figure out how to uh, program and go in and edit the save game file and <laughs> like just fast forward through the hours. So that was my, my first experience with with programming <laughs> was uh, back in, in assembly slash machine language editing save game files in the Commodore 64. And um, from there on, I've just kind of uh, been interested and fascinated with computers and uh, it's it's been fun for me, and I've kind of been blessed to have the opportunity for uh, to or to work in it now for for 20 years, and I think a, a long future ahead where uh, technology skills are still going to be in demand. Nice, and and I recommend that every person with a child that's they're growing up get them involved with technology early. You know, get them involved with if they have a penchant for coding, get, get them get them in some coding classes. They're everywhere. Online, in person, they're everywhere. Yeah, so. I'll, I'll give a quick plug to Cyber Patriot. So if your okay. uh, kids are thinking about playing football in school or something else, there should be a team sport at your school now called Cyber Patriot, which is a cybersecurity team sport. Uh, and if your school doesn't have it yet, talk to your administration and staff and, and figure out how to get your, your school to add a Cyber Patriot team. Very, Very cool. cool. Fantastic. Cool. Great tip. And what we're going to do, Jeremy, is we're going to have all these different links to our podcast Including, uh, you know, including Brett's own podcast as well. Yep, and the CSO um, article and all that stuff. So, and and let's also put in the link there to his uh, cybersecurity talk show, so people For can sure. go and listen to that live on the radio. So this has been fantastic, Brett. This is fun. You definitely, um, you, you've definitely inspired us to learn more about GDPR and data. And this has been an absolutely fantastic uh, podcast topic. I know we're going to get a ton of hits. Thank you again. And also, if there's if you want to come back and uh, shoot the shit and just talk about something else, yeah, let's let do us round know. two like in about a few months when GDPR is live, you know, and let's, <laughs> let's see what happened. And you know, Brad can provide some color in terms of what's how it's been enforced. Yeah, yeah. No, some that, horror stories. Yeah, fun. Maybe we, yeah, we can we can come back. Everyone's favorite thing to to listen to during the holidays. We come back in between kind of Thanksgiving and Christmas. Will be GDPR horror stories for the end of the year. <laughs> That's fun. We we can do a, a, a top ten list of horror stories. Who got it worse, right? Yes. Yeah. Hopefully not. But uh, yeah, in not. reality, likely there's going to be some some folks uh, this year that are not going to like how how the enforcement side of stuff comes down on their business. Well, well, thank that, you, thank you both for uh, having me on. This has been fun, and uh, looking forward to uh, ten days from now. We'll see how this all comes out. Fingers crossed, right? Sounds good. Very good yeah. good information. Thanks so much. And okay. uh, feel free to, uh, for our listeners, feel free to um, check us out online, follow our podcast. And any more topics or, um, you know, companies you want us to interview, please let us know. Samir and I love the feedback and go ahead and uh, go in and give us a review. And um, thank you again, Samir. Thank you, Brett. And uh, we'll see you guys in the air. 